right, good to see everyone here tonight. Glad you're here as we continue to uh, work through the Ten Commandments and hopefully going into some depth with them. And uh, we'll also be able to deal with some of the ethical issues that are involved with these. So let me say a word of prayer and we'll get into the Sixth Commandment. Lord, we thank you just that we can come and worship you. Uh, We thank you that we can gather together tonight with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be nourished by your word and equipped and help us to go out into uh, a world that needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, We ask that you would be with us. Uh, Lord, again, we ask that you would grant um, the blessing of repentance to our country and the people that are in it. And as we think about just this issue of of uh, thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not murder. Um, Lord, we think of all the ways that we get that wrong as a society. And so uh, move in our hearts, bless us with repentance, turn us back to you, Lord God. Be with our leaders at every level, and may they make wise, godly decisions. And uh, may we go to those um, with the grace of Jesus Christ for the, uh, the forgiveness um, that we all need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are in the sixth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. So four words we're going to talk about, you shall not murder. And we get to this one and we can say, finally, finally a command that everyone in our country, we can all just agree on. We can, we can all come together and agree that murder is, killing is wrong, and we can agree on this. And then you think about how things actually are, and you realize, no, we don't even really agree on this, do we? Uh, the past few weeks, the, the governor of California, um, a few weeks ago, he declared that he was going to end the, uh, the death penalty for everyone in, in the state on his own authority. Uh, it hasn't actually been legally removed in California, but he, w- he was going to make it happen. And even though a lot of the prosecutors in California still think there should be the death penalty, and most of the people in California actually, even California, still think that there are occasions when the death penalty is the only thing that can give uh, the right degree of justice. But then on the other hand, uh, recently the same governor has uh, encouraged people, you know, if you're in one of those states where they're having these uh, restrictive uh, bans on abortion, saying, you know, fly out to California and we'll make sure it gets done for you. So you have uh, someone that is basically saying, if, if you uh, go into a, a school and, with, and start shooting and, and murdering dozens of children, that we'll make sure you're protected and you're not executed, but if you're wanting to put to death one of your children in the womb, then, hey, come over and we'll take care of that. So we, we live in a society that I think can't even get you shall not murder straight. We could also think, well, finally, at least we can take some solace that we finally are at a command that we have kept. Because we can say, well, I'm not, I'm not a murderer. At least I haven't done that one. I may have struck out in all the other ones, and the kids here might, you know, be thinking, you know, the last one, honor your mother and father, and they realize, struck out that many times, and we haven't put God first, but at least we haven't murdered. 
And if you're feeling that way and feeling very self-righteous as we go through the first three points, just hang on until point four. And a little something that Jesus had said that will, that will humble us. So I want to talk about this and just some of the ethical issues and to kind of equip us. And I know there's, there's people here of all ages, and it's just good uh, for us to understand what is the full scriptural teaching and how does this apply to us in society. So um, if we think of this, the first point, taking notes, the sixth commandment prohibits murder, the unauthorized killing of human life. And we'll describe it like that. I know sometimes we have it memorized as thou shall not kill, and there's different translations that handle it different ways. Uh, interestingly, the, the King James uh, was translated by uh, different committees, and so sometimes they'll have the same uh, word uh, as murder or kill, depending on which, uh, which committee did that section of Scripture. But I want to make the case that uh, it is actually, um, the best translation would be, thou shalt not murder. The Hebrew command here, it looks like it's short in English, you know, um, you shall not murder. In Hebrew, it's actually just two words, lo ratzak, okay? That's just what it is. That's the command. Two words in Hebrew, lo ratzak, uh, which sometimes we translate as don't kill, but the better translation is do not murder. Uh, The word ratzak is never used in the context of the legal system or the military, there are other words that are used for execution or the, the killing that soldiers do in combat. Um, but this word is used for murder, especially what we would consider first-degree murder or a voluntary manslaughter. And we're going to see it can also be used of other things in Scripture, of uh, the, certain types of um, involuntary manslaughter in which the person is still responsible because they ought to have been more careful. They were being negligent, and uh, so it can cover those things as well, too, which we might call like reckless homicide or negligent homicide. I mean, there's some examples of that in, in Scripture, too, where it um, shows that there's guilt attached to some of these things. In Deuteronomy 22.8, you know, it talks about on your roofs having the right uh, protective barriers around them so people don't fall off, and basically saying if you don't do this and some neighbor kid comes and falls off your roof, you, you can be held responsible for that in the eyes of God as well. That this is, some, this is negligent and you caused uh, somebody to get killed this way. In Exodus 21, 28 through 29, it talks about if you have an ox and you know that this ox is prone to going around goring people and you don't take care of your ox and restrain it, it gets out there and kills somebody then you're held responsible for that because you should have been uh, taking care of this and not being negligent, and your negligence led to somebody's uh, death. And so some of those you know, commands, we may not have the same type of house roofs and you may not have an ox, but there are certain things that you know, we need to be careful of because you could be causing somebody else's uh, death by our carelessness. So to kind of clarify here, we're talking about this and saying um, it's about the unauthorized killing of human life. And so this means that it is is not about animal life. That's why just saying thou shall not kill, um, I think we have to clarify that a little bit more. 
This is about human life, not, not all life. Killing for food is okay. So for the meat eaters out there, we do have biblical warrant that it is okay. Uh, Genesis 9, 3, after the flood, God told Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. You're able to eat, uh, eat meat. And as we, if you were here this morning, we talked about the sacrifices. And so obviously there was killing of animals that were done um, with, with the sacrifices, but also they could be eaten uh, for food as well. So we think about that. We also think if we define it as the unauthorized killing of human life, I think that's helpful too, because we're going to see there's some cases where um, there is some delegated um, authority given in certain circumstances. But if we think of authorized, who is it that has the authority to kill? The authority to decide when it is time for someone to, to leave this earth. And I think we all know that's, that's God. I mean, he is the one that decides this. Life comes from God, and he has the, because he's the giver of life, he also has the authority to take it back. He has the authority to enforce, well, the penalty. We have, we have sinned. The wages of sin is death. You know, he gave us this gift of life, and he decides when we're going to take it back. And none of us, uh, no, no matter how many years old you are here, uh, we're living on gracious borrowed time because he could have decided that, uh, well, you, we don't deserve any time here breathing air and enjoying his, his sunshine. So the Lord is the one that has appointed the death of each of us when that day comes. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and the Lord is the one that appoints that time. So you think of it, um, if you think of uh, this command, you might, sometimes we wonder, you know, can God sin? And we know that, well, God can't sin. But I think this is one that, there's another level to that, that there would be no way that God could sin and commit murder because he has the authority to decide when we, when we leave this life, when we die. And if he sends an army or if he sends disease or whatever or just gives the time for our body to break down, he has, he has the right to do that. God could never sin uh, by... Um, <coughs> by uh, ending our life before it, before it ought to be. He, he's the one that has that authority. But God has the authority, and <clears throat> I think it is true that God can delegate his authority, but other in, than those circumstances where it is properly delegated, and we'll see some of those, what that is, um, then it is, it is murder. So that's why I think the phrase, the unauthorized killing of human life, um, could have said, legally innocent human life, uh, but I don't even think we need uh, to say that because um, most of the time, uh, well, we'll see why that, that's probably redundant. But uh, <clears throat> God can delegate his authority in some circumstances, but other than that, it's murder. And some examples of <clears throat> unauthorized killing would be, yeah, just straight out murder, uh, you don't like someone and you have them knocked off. 
negligent homicide, somebody dies because of your carelessness, that you ought to have been careful. But other things too, vigilante justice. I think that's unauthorized. We're not allowed to just uh, uh, go out there and um, uh, start wiping out criminals that, that we don't like. That's, that's not something that God has given to individual citizens to go out and do that. Suicide, uh, euthanasia, abortion. These are some other examples of unauthorized killing. We're going to talk about some of these ethical issues today. Uh, next week, we'll talk about a few others. We'll talk specifically about um, abortion, suicide, euthanasia, and we'll leave some of those topics to next week so we can give a fuller treatment to those. So that's my first point, just defining what uh, murder is. Second point, well, why is it that, that murder is a bad thing? Now, if you had to answer this question, or finish this statement, human lives are valuable uh, because, you know, how would you, how would you finish that? Let me put it another way. If I asked you, or if you were in a conversation with someone, at the coffee shop, or at school, or work, or wherever, and the conversation was, why is murder wrong? You know, what would you say? And I want you to think about that. What would your answer be? Why is murder wrong? And maybe write that down. I want you to actually come up with something. And let me say this. If what you came up with was God says it's wrong, or the Bible says it's wrong, that is a true and good answer. But the, ne- the follow-up question I'm going to ask you is, well, why does God say that it's wrong? And why does the Bible say that it's wrong? Now, if God never explained to us why murder is wrong, it would still be wrong. Because if he, if he says don't do it, he doesn't have to give us every explanation. You know, it's like parenting with, with little kids. You, don't, you probably have a reason for the things you're telling them, but you don't always owe them that explanation. They just need to do it because they're under your authority. So if you say go to bed now, they, they need to. But as they get older, we start to explain to them more things so they understand the reasons behind our commands. And so I think it's true that if God had just given the command, that would be enough because we're under his authority. Uh, but sometimes we can understand and we've had it revealed to us by God why he gives the commands that he gives. And the more that we understand that, uh, it helps us to, to obey it. It also helps us to, to train our kids and to you know, be influential with uh, the, the watching world around us, to give, what are the reasons for this? So, why does God say that it's, it's wrong to murder? Now, I'm not going to ask you to, to answer this, but um, think of different ways that people in the world might answer. Uh, people that um, don't understand the Bible, people that don't believe in God, they may say something like, well, we're not supposed to murder because uh, people are valuable because of what they contribute to society, that they're able to do good things for others. You shouldn't kill somebody because, well, maybe that person, you know, 10 years from now might discover, you know, the, the cure for uh, some disease. 
Or they might invent some great technology to provide more food or, you know, you just, you wouldn't want to do that. What they could, what they contribute. So either what they contribute or their potential of what they can contribute. Sure, you know, you shouldn't, um, you know, murder this, this uh, youngster now. They, they're not contributing a lot to society, but when they grow up, they're going to be a great asset. They have the potential to do that. That's not what scripture says. And I think that's, uh, that's a weak answer, too. Uh, that our value is not based on what we contribute or our potential to contribute things. And it's good that it's not because um, not every human being has the same capacity to contribute. And there's some that have very little capacity to contribute, at least in the way that the world defines a contribution. And you and I may hit some uh, stage in our life where worldly speaking, we're not... uh, good for much of what the the world is looking for. And then do you consider yourself just a drain on society and your value is gone? Or does your value come from something else? Some people think, well, a person is valued if other people value them. There's other just views people have, and I think if you talk to your neighbors, they might get some muddy views on things. Sometimes right and wrong for them is just, well, it's wrong because I don't like it. You know, it makes me feel like this is yucky. I just, I don't like it. And they think that's what it's based on. Some will say, well, society has decided that this is wrong and therefore it's wrong. Well, okay, but what if society decided something different? If you were in Nazi Germany, they decided uh, all kinds of things that we would say are, are horrible. And what if they had won and they were in charge of the world? Would those things be right now if the, if the Nazis were in charge? So just to say society decides, that's not good enough. <clears throat> and some people will say, well, evolution. This is, it's good for uh, the, the, the continuation of the species if we don't murder one another. Well, I would say, well, I, first of all, I don't believe in evolution, but I would say even if I did, I would, I would say you could make a case as an evolutionist if everything is about survival of the fittest, well, then murder is actually helping to weed out the weak. And so just the strong make it. And the more capable and good fighters and the smart and clever that they're reproducing. So if survival of the fittest is true, then murder should be a good thing. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that the reason human lives are valuable and therefore we should not murder is because... Each person is made in the image of God. And we just need to keep coming back to that. I saw some of you nod your heads like, yes, I got it. Good. So, yeah, this is the basis of it. There's all these other things that might be true, but it depends on being created in the image of God. And being created in the image of God, as we talk about it next week, it's going to mean that whether you are, um, you've barely been fertilized in your mother's womb or you, at, you are at the end of life, and humanly speaking, there's, there's not much gas left in the tank. Your value does not come from what you contribute or your potential or whatever. And it doesn't matter how many people are friends with you on Facebook or how many people like you or would vote for you, you're created in the image of God. And that gives every human being, Christian or non-Christian, inherent dignity and worth. And we see that clearly taught in Genesis 9, 5 through 6. Uh, This is, again, after 
This is God talking to Noah after the flood. And he says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. I get this. It says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. This is saying that, that uh, murder was, was so wrong that the only appropriate punishment for an intentional murder here was going to be that the murderer needed to be executed and that the reason for that is because they had violated someone that is created in the image of God. Someone that uh, is here to, to represent God. Someone that uh, carries you know, his, his, his likeness that is made to relate to him. So whatever it means to be created in the image of God, every human being has that. Even after the fall, people still maintain the image of God. It might be marred. It might be messed up. We may not be exactly like it used to be. It might be like a great painting of a master that's, you know, it got paint and dirt splashed all over it, but it's, it's still this creation of the master, and it has value because of that. So, it's not about our ability to contribute. We're going to come back to Genesis 9, because there's some more things we can talk about, too. So, it's very, very important where we get our, uh, our worth from, and why it's wrong. This command, point number three, does not prohibit all. And this is where we have to um, think of some of these ethical issues as well. And so when we talk about murder, we talk about, you know, thou shalt not kill. What exactly is it saying? Because there's some that might say, well, it means that you can't do this or this. But we have to look at the whole picture of Scripture. Uh, So the first that, and I know there might even be Christians that would disagree on some of these issues. But I'm going to make the Uh, present this to you as the the case, and I hope that you can consider it. This does not prohibit all capital punishment. And we see that in a few places, and again, I bring back Genesis 9, and it's very specifically here giving the, the punishment of the death penalty for people that commit murder. And the reason for that, some people would mock this and say, well, you're going to you know, kill someone because killing is bad. Well, yeah, it's the, the guilty party who kills an innocent human life. That person deserves to die. And the reason for that is uh, to protect the dignity of human beings. That murdering a human being is, is such, a, um, uh, such a terrible thing to do, attacking the dignity of a, an image bearer of God that um, the only, the, the punishment for that needs to be that that person dies. And this was given in order to uphold the dignity of each person and to say, don't do this. Don't be thinking about killing other people because you're going to get the punishment that, that you deserve if that's what happens. So capital punishment is appropriate because human life is so valuable. And this, again, I'm saying it doesn't prohibit all capital punishment. I'm not saying that every single sin should, you should get the axe for it and go to the guillotine. But there are some where biblically it is, it is right for this to happen. 
In the Old Testament, there were other crimes that were also punishable uh, by death. Not all of these, as far as the punishment, may apply today, but this at least proves that the Sixth Commandment was not absolutely prohibiting the death penalty. If you're wondering, well, is it still the case in the New Testament, in New Covenant times, Romans 13, verse 3 through 4, tells us this. It says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. You know, and this wasn't living in some kind of Christian nation, you know, with godly rulers. This was, you know, the Roman Empire, but saying that God had appointed them for, well, I'll keep reading. It says, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so I believe this is teaching that uh, the, uh, the state, the governments, are given a delegated authority from God. That's what Romans 13 is saying. Uh, that is different from what we have as individuals. And part of that responsibility is to protect society so that you don't have murderers just running all over and killing everyone. So that you can go home and, and be safe because if there are people that are out doing that, uh, the police and the authorities are going to do what it takes to stop them. And that to bear the sword means that they can, they can use force. And uh, I think it also means that even um, authorizes them to, uh, to punish and to use the death penalty uh, when needed. Now, if you think about some of the purposes for the death penalty, for capital punishment, you know, even from just a legal perspective and people that talk about this and think about it, you know, there, there are several. Um, one would be, well, retribution. And I think this is something that you do see in Scripture. Retribution is not the same thing as just getting revenge. We're mad at them, and so we're going to get back and get revenge. But there is something, even though our society doesn't see this, there is something about just punishment, where a punishment fits the crime. You did something awful, and you deserve to have this punishment come upon you whether it causes you to be rehabilitated or not, you, just, you deserve to have this punishment. Um, in many ways, spiritually, hell is like that. It's the just punishment for what each of us would deserve if we didn't have a Savior. Other purposes for our society is protection of society. That's why we put people in prison. And in some ways, the death penalty also could contribute to that as well, um, you know, so that people, you don't have somebody escaping from prison and going on another rampage or being released because uh, for whatever reason released than they shouldn't be, um, or prison staff even being, being put in danger. And again, that doesn't mean that every prisoner should be executed, that's not what we're saying, but that's another purpose to consider, even if it's not the absolute strongest one. Also, deterrence. And despite what some people claim, and you can quote whatever statistics you want, uh, 
I believe from what, looking at it, it is simply true that some crimes are, um, that there is a correlation between the death penalty and reduced crime. I think people will admit that too, that you know, some criminals you know, would, will hold back you know, if they know that they're, they're going to get the electric chair. Uh, that there is a, a deterrent factor, not maybe for everyone, because some people don't think about consequences, but it does, does have an impact. I've heard one person made a thought experiment and said, you know, think about it. If, if, if you said that murder was going to be punishable by death on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but not punishable by death on the other days, what do you think there'd be more murders on? Yeah, I, I think people would pick uh, the days that they're not going to go to the chair, the electric chair to do their murders. So to say that it doesn't deter things, I think maybe one of the reasons for that, and I can't get into all the political things, that's not what this is about, but there's such a gap in time between the crime and when the, when the execution is actually uh, carried out. You know, if it's 20 or 30 years later, after appeal, after appeal, after appeal, it kind of loses its effect on deterrence. You know, where if it was for people that we knew for sure that they did the crime and they deserve this, you know, some of these school shooters or whatever, you know, um, I think that would, it would deter other people from being these copycats. When we think about, you know, the criminal uh, system, um, you know, rehabilitation, you know, can be a, a purpose in different things. But I think some people make the mistake about making all human justice about rehabilitation uh, when sometimes that's just not realistic and it's not appropriate. I want to clarify, in the Old Testament, the death penalty was given for intentional first-degree murder. It was not given for, for accidental killing. Numbers 35 describes how those who committed accidental manslaying could flee to a city of refuge for protection. So it was for uh, actually, um, you know, what we would call first-degree murder. And sometimes those that are against capital punishment talk about some of the problems. And it's true, there can be a problems, there can be problems with the application of the death penalty of capital punishment. But I think this does not mean that the death penalty itself should be abolished. So one problem could be innocent people being put to death. We need to remember that in Scripture, there was actually a high standard of evidence. There had to be at least two eyewitnesses. You could not execute somebody if there was just kind of one witness. You know, and they had to be judged and found to be credible. Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. In Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21, it says something similar. And it also talks about if a malicious witness arises. You know, someone that wants to make a false accusation, you know, to get somebody murdered. Well, that's why you at least had to have two. You know, but what if two people got together? <laughs> and in that passage in Deuteronomy 19, it says, if it turns out that that malicious witness, you know, gets caught for lying about what he witnessed. Uh, it says in verse 19, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So if somebody accuses somebody of something, 
so that they supposedly should get this punishment, and it turns out that they're lying about this, they get the punishment that they were trying to get somebody else to receive. And in verse 20 it says, And the rest shall hear and fear. Which, uh, that's deterrence right there being talked about in Scripture. Another problem that is a real problem is racial and economic disparities. And there have been studies that have shown that there's uh, been times and and areas where uh, some people are less likely, even for the same crime, to get the death penalty. If you are very wealthy, you can afford the lawyers to to keep it in the system forever and you're not going to face it. Where if you're poor, you're more likely. So that's something that that is a problem. Um, Things with uh, differences with, with race that statistically... Uh, that a, uh, a black person who kills a white is more likely to get the death penalty, at least in some areas of the country, than whites who kill blacks or blacks who kill each other. And that's just wrong. Uh, and a just society should stay, take whatever steps they can to correct that and safeguard against it. Um, the crime itself is the issue, not the, the race or ethnicity of the person. And that's what should determine the punishment. So these are things that should be dealt with and we have to be aware of, but I believe that doesn't mean the death penalty itself should be eliminated. I know I went on for a while on that. The death penalty, or, so this command, it doesn't prohibit all uh, instances of capital punishment. I think it also does not prohibit killing in war. <laughs> and from this, well, we just look to the Old Testament. I mean, this was given in Exodus, and he's going to send, uh, you know, Israel into Canaan to, uh, to wipe out the Canaanites and to take over. And so just the whole book of Joshua and many other places um, obviously means that this is not against all instances of war. Now, some of them might say, well, okay, but they had God actually telling them to go and do this and go on this war. And that's a little bit different. We don't have, uh, you know, God telling us, you know, go to war against this country. And I would say, if anyone thinks that they have God whispering that in their ear, that's, that's, uh, that doesn't happen today. And you're, uh, don't be uh, launching the tanks because, uh, um, but we shouldn't expect that today. But the state, I believe, still has the authority to do that. Romans 13 again. Um, the state is allowed to take care of uh, the protection of its citizens and to protect its citizens from forces of evil. And the state is, Romans 13, it's responsible for the safety of its citizens. There's some obvious ex- examples of this. You know, defending uh, people against Nazis or, the ter- or terrorists. You know, that that would be an example of uh, killing in war. So if one of our soldiers... Uh, you know, in combat, you know, takes a life in those circumstances. I believe that is not, uh, of, that is not a sin against the sixth commandment. This does not mean that every war is just, but it means that some can be. And actually, Christians throughout uh, hundreds of years have developed a you know, pretty sophisticated um, thought as far as what is known as just war theory as far as what are wars, what would make a war just and okay? And I'll just give you these quickly. Some of the common things that they say is it needs to have a just cause. 
For example, defending your nation, you know, protecting the innocent. It has to be uh, declared by a competent authority. So it can't be just some rogue nation or a group of vigilantes. It, there's authority given to an actual nation and the head of government that's different than just individuals. It's a comparative justice. Is it clear that the actions of the enemy are morally wrong and the, the nation going to war against them is at least comparatively speaking morally right? So again, the Nazis, morally wrong. Uh, everyone else, not perfect, but uh, very good in comparison. The right intention, is it to protect justice and not just, I'm going to war to, uh, to plunder a nation or to conquer more land or something like that. What is the right intention? Um, according to just war theory, it should be the last resort. You know, it has negotiation or other means been exhausted? And this is just, it has to happen now. Um, <clears throat> other factors, a probability of success. Is there reasonable expectation that the war can be won? Uh, proportionality of projected results. That means, is it probable that the war will result in more good than harm? There's always going to be some bad things happen. And there's different rules as far as avoiding civilian casualties as much as you can and these type of thing. Um, I can't get into all the details. And also, is it undertaken in the right spirit? You know, is war undertaken reluctantly and with, with sorrow rather than just a delight for, for war? But my point here is to say that I think there are instances where um, killing in war is, is not necessarily prohibited by this uh, command. Um, and the last would be, I think, self-defense. The command does not prohibit all self-defense. Uh, um, or another way that you could say it, uh, <coughs> one of the old confessions refers to it as necessary defense. So you're defending yourself or you're defending others. And um, I, I think that is biblical too. There are some Christians, uh, some called the Anabaptists, which is different than Baptists. Uh, a lot of them are pacifists and would say that the New Testament teaches that all self-defense is, is wrong, um, that you should always just you know, turn the other cheek and uh, take whatever beating and never resist. Uh, but biblically, even if we look back in Exodus, it's teaching that, that self-defense can be okay. Exodus 22, 2 through 3 says, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So you're at the middle of the night, a thief breaks in and defending your home from somebody that you don't know what they're up to and you're, you're, you're being threatened and this person, you kill that person in self-defense or defending your family, this is not something, it says there'll be no blood guilt for that. Now it does go on and says in verse 3, but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. And I think the, what it's getting at there is uh, there's a difference between somebody breaks in at night and you just have to react. You don't know the situation. You have to have extreme measures versus during the day, you know, when you can tell who it is and uh, you might have other things at your disposal calling for help that maybe you didn't have to. So it's it's not saying anytime you know the neighbor kid you know comes in your house without asking, you can just blow them away. Um, <clears throat> but it is saying that you know if there's something where you think it is a 
serious threat and this is the last resort and you need to act, that self-defense is not necessarily um, murder. The New Testament <coughs> prohibits really against revenge, not self-defense. And I think that's the context of turn the other cheek. Because in that context, it's talking about seeking a, a personal eye for an eye, a personal tooth for a tooth. I'm going to get back to them for what they did. There's still, that's different um, than defending yourself in the moment. But we also need to remember, as we think about this and as we teach our kids, that the New Testament, we're also called to love our enemies in Matthew 5. And we are called to turn our other cheek. And I think th there is still a meaning for that. It means when things are escalating, we need to be the ones that are not escalating it in ramping up the fight. There are times when we're willing to take the blow because uh, we want to be peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. So violence, and especially killing for self-defense, should only be the last resort when absolutely necessary. And finally, the last point, because if you're thinking, good, haven't committed this, haven't murdered, I'm good. Remember, Jesus taught that to hate someone is to murder them in your heart. That's where he brings us to us that we're thinking we're self-righteous. And Jesus tells us, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That your neighbor, your brothers and sisters, maybe your actual brothers and sisters, are valuable in the eyes of God. We mistreat them when we, uh, we hate them in our heart, when we call them fools and insult them. That is sin. And so we realize as we look at this that if commandment six was the only commandment, if it, instead of the Ten Commandments there was one commandment, I would still need a Savior. And I believe if we're honest, we would all say, yep, we all need a Savior, even if this is the only command. Jesus came. He kept this perfectly for us. And we can find forgiveness in him. We're all guilty. We all need Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the instruction you give us in Scripture. Help us to build our ethics and what we believe as far as right and wrong based on what you have revealed to us, Lord. Uh, God, help us to be people that seek peace and are willing to, to turn the cheek and to love our neighbor, Lord God. Help us be people that would never crave uh, bloodshed or would run into that unless um, there was absolute necessity to, to, especially to care for our neighbor, Lord God. Um, but Lord, when we look at our lives, we realize that we have, uh, we have hated people. We've disrespected people. We've sinned with, uh, we would never, many of us would never think of actually killing someone physically, but in our hearts, we've done all kinds of terrible things to people, people created in the image of God. And we need to repent of those things, change our hearts, and forgive us through Jesus Christ and his blood. In his name we pray, amen.